A double elder. Good morning. Uh, welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're a visitor with us, we have the um, visitor cards and the chairs in front of you. If you'd take a moment, fill that out. And then uh, just put it in the offering trays as they're passed later or in one of the offering boxes that are uh, located at the back of the church. And we do appreciate that. <clears throat> Don't forget, um, right after church for uh, mem members, we have the annual member meeting today. So please uh, plan on staying for that. Um, there is a women's event at 2 p.m. today. Uh, we will be crafting and baking. All ages of women are encouraged to attend. Uh, don't forget about the Christmas shoe boxes. If you haven't picked one up yet, go ahead and grab one. They're down uh, next to the stairs as you're going out the front entrance. And just pick one of those up. Those are the shoe boxes that go around the world for young children. And hey, actually, before we go, I think Rochelle, and we'll at least just have you stand up. I know, but raise your hand. This is our coordinator for the year for our Operation Christmas Child, and she has a deadline for us, right, Rochelle? And thanks, Rochelle, for coordinating. Okay, and the Riverton Help Center, which is a unit of the Salvation Army, is gearing up for the 2023 Red Kettle Campaign. We, they are looking for bell ringers, so if you're interested, um, the campaign kicks off on Friday, November 17th, runs through Saturday, December 23rd. Uh, bell ringers are needed on Friday and Saturdays from 10 to 4. They have three locations, uh, Walmart, Smith's, and Walgreens. Um, you can sign up as a team, and if you have any questions about this, see Pat's store, um, and she will give you all the details. And then last, uh, we have the Thanksgiving Day sign-up sheet. If you are someone who doesn't have any place to go for Thanksgiving this year, we have a number of families that are opening up, or folks that are opening up their homes to uh, light, you know, invite you in for Thanksgiving dinner. So if you have no place to go, the top part is for you to sign up. If you would like to be one of the host groups and one of the host families, the bottom part of this spreadsheet is where you would sign up. So we'll, we'll be um, having this go around here in just a moment. So... Yeah. No other announcements. Let's go ahead and stand up and do our memory verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. Father, we just uh, thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, just bless us this day. Um, Lord, just... Uh, be with each family that's here. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just be with Shane as he brings the message that you've laid on his heart. Father, we just thank you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, brothers and sisters, everybody here at First Baptist. I, If you're new here, my name is Shane. I'm pastor here. And what a privilege it is to serve the saints here at First Baptist and and in Riverton and Fremont County. 
Now, we have been going through a pretty incredible journey, the book of Mark. We've been in there for a while, and God just keeps rocking our world, doesn't he? The word of God is powerful, is powerful. And we've come to this kind of middle series or the end of this middle series, and we saw that Jesus was walking with the disciples towards Jerusalem, and his tone became very, very urgent, became very intense because there were certain lessons that he wanted for them to understand, to hear from him before they arrived in Jerusalem. Well, picking up in chapter 11, we find and we see Jesus and the disciples arriving at their destination in Jerusalem to major fanfare. And as we picture this, I always think about this idea of momentum. Uh, God taught me about momentum in a, a really complicated and hard way. Well, it wasn't complicated, but it was uh, one of those interesting catastrophes. My family, when I was a kid, decided that we were going to go, and we were going to go sledding, and we were going to go sledding on Casper Mountain. And if you grew up in Casper, there was one hill that was both the funnest hill, but also the most dangerous hill that you could possibly get on, because at the bottom of this hill was a huge leap into the parking lot where everybody parked to go and get onto the sled. And so the very bottom of this massive hill, and so there would be like parents would be like guarding the way that, you know, last jump into the parking lot that would have been like a 20-foot leap uh, into asphalt. Um, you see where I'm going here. Um, unfortunately, this time it wasn't me making bad decisions, and uh, I don't mean to throw my sister under the bus, but sibling rivalry, right? My sister, who's a very determined individual, she wanted to get to the very top, the very, very, very top of this hill, and she didn't tell anybody about it, and at this time, I think she was probably like a third or a fourth grader, and so we're all kind of sledding and going on, and all of a sudden, we see her, and it dawns on everybody. Everybody's heart just stops when they see that she's at the very top of the hill, and she's all alone. Nobody else has gone up there. She jumps on that sled and takes off like lightning. And she barrels, and you could just see all of the parents, including myself at this time, I think I was like a fifth or sixth grader, and I'm leaping trying to grab a hold of her, but she's just going too fast, man. Momentum is a crazy thing. But the problem is at the end of this momentum is going to be a devastating occurrence, and it truly was. She, at full momentum, hit that thing, and that was the first time I ever saw my sister fly, probably the only time. And it ended uh, in her going to the hospital, and she's fine. Uh, she was fine after that. It was a pretty bad back injury. But for when I think about Jesus entering Jerusalem, I think about this momentum that all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and it's going to lead, this next week is going to lead to the cross. But we see Jesus enter Jerusalem as a king, as a king. He's been a prophet and a teacher up until now, but when he enters, it becomes very obvious his tone is now a good king going to war for all of our souls. For all of us in history, this is a king going to war, and we know that Jesus, he was going to war against three things, yes? What were those three things that Jesus was going to war against? Sin. Sin. Number one, sin. Jesus was going to war against sin. Number two, Satan. He was going to take away the sword that the great accuser has against us. And then number three, he was going to conquer death. 
So here we see a victorious king, and let's, let's go ahead and pick up and reading this crazy momentum that Jesus rolls into Jerusalem with. Mark 11.1 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they, and they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. Can you guys say this with me? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So today, I want to take us through a journey. Um, just in this passage, we see that when a good king goes to war, when a good king goes to war, he brings a few things with him. He brings a few things with him. And the first thing that we see that our good king brings to him with war is this, the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of prophecy. Now, prophecy, the word prophecy, I always like to take a pause and just kind of fill us in on what does the word prophecy mean. It just means a, a vocal piece of God, meaning the word of God being spoken is a, is a prophecy. When God speaks, so a prophet is one who is speaking for God one who is speaking God's word. And so that's prophecy. So here we see that Jesus is rolling in, and there's something really important that we need to notice, that he is fulfilling a prophecy that was spoken by a minor prophet, Zechariah. If you got your Bibles, turn to one of those minor prophets that are really hard to find there in the Old Testament. Turn to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. And it says this, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we know, roughly speaking, that this was, this was spoken of, Zechariah, 400-some years before Jesus would roll into Jerusalem on a donkey. So Jesus brings with him the fulfillment of prophecy. We know that Jesus was the fulfillment of every aspect of the Old Testament. We need to know that all of history was a buildup to the coming of Jesus Christ himself. It's like any good movie. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens, but you always build up to what we call the climax, yes? And that's when the big final battle happens. Well, we see that Jesus is announcing the fulfillment of this prophecy that the Old Testament, what it's been predicted, is coming to pass. 
And so this prophecy will be completed. Why is that important for us to understand that our king brings with him the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? Why do you guys think? Here's the discussion portion of your sermon today. What's that? It's of God. We know that the word of God will always come true. When God speaks, it will happen. It will happen. Why is that important for us? Well, today, we need to understand that Jesus coming into Jerusalem was a fulfillment of prophecy. Therefore, we can count on the word of God to come true, yes? Because he proved it over and over through many, many prophecies, through many, many fulfillments of what uh, the, the Old Testament said was coming. And why is this important for us? Well, because we hear things in the Bible from the Word of God that sometimes I don't think we quite believe. One of those, the first one that came to my mind is uh, that they will hate you because of me. You guys remember Jesus saying this? Anybody feel like they, you're, they're like extremely hated? Some of you are shaking your heads, but how many, let's be honest. I think the hate could be a little harsher, couldn't it? We have it pretty easy today, yes? I, we are pretty favored. There's some things going on, but, but I, think, I think for us, we need to look at the things that Jesus says and know that they will come true. And so there's this sense that if we're following Christ the right way, then that in and of itself creates enemies against us. So when we go in with anticipation and expectation that, that what we do when we're walking faithfully with God, are things going to get easier or harder? Harder sometimes, right? Harder sometimes. Yeah, they will hate you because of me. In fact, I think of Revelations 13, 7 through 8 as we talk about prophecy. Revelations 13 through 7 through 8 kind of tells us or connotates that there will come a time when the people of God are actually defeated. I want you to listen to this. Revelations 13, 7 through 8 says, Also, it was allowed to make war. So this is regarding the first beast in Revelation. It was allowed to make war on the saints. Who's the saints? We are. And to conquer them. This is the first beast. And it says that he will be allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was given, uh, was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not, who has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This is a prophecy. Okay, this is a prophecy. Is this going to come true? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a sense. Here's your encouraging word from your pastor. Did you guys know the church loses until something happens? This guy named Jesus steps in at our darkest hour. And he speaks a word. And he wins. He's victorious. And he's the victorious king that we're going to see arriving in Jerusalem. So maybe a takeaway for us is that we are not the ones who win the war. Jesus always is. But also hear this. This is kind of cool. What's another prophecy or word of God that I could find encouragement for us today that we know is going to come true? Well, one of the things that Scripture tells us in the Olivet Discourse or in Matthew 24 is that the whole world will hear the gospel. Isn't that encouraging? Let me read it for you. Matthew 24, 9 through 14 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, 
the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, this is cool, ready? And this gospel of the kingdom, what's the gospel? Oh, come on, church. Jesus paying the price for us on the cross, making us right with God. Right? And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. There's some people that would uh, look at that verse and say, well, if we want the end, if we want Jesus to come sooner, we better get to work preaching the gospel, yes? Now, I, I don't think we have that kind of power, but there's this encouraging that our gospel sharing will reach every ear and every corner of the world by the power of God. That's a prophecy that we can count on. Just as we see Jesus fulfilling the prophecy, we can count on what God's word has said. And that's cool for us today because the, that means that the Great Commission's success is guaranteed. You guys remember the Great Commission? What's the purpose of the church? Right, to, to make disciples, right? To make disciples. We'll sum it up really quickly there, to make disciples. And so the Great Commission, our success in the Great Commission is actually guaranteed. And did you know actually victory in life and in death is, is guaranteed? Another promise or prophecy that we have from God is this. Matthew 24 in that same Olivet Discourse from Jesus says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Are you going to miss it? Probably not. It's saying everybody's going to see it, right? And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From one end to the other. That means what for us? Victory. Victory. We get to join Jesus in his victory according to the scriptures. The king would often... so. Why is this important? As Jesus strolls into Jerusalem and this prophecy is in Zechariah is complete. It's neat that Jesus is doing this because you think about in those olden days, when would a king roll into his hometown uh, victoriously? It was always after what? After the battle, after the war, right? After he had been victorious. This king is just going to war. So what is he saying? The battle's already been won. This king has an assured battle. This king wins the war. Will there be battles? Are we going to lose a few? Is it going to be discouraging sometimes? Yeah, but we can always land on the hope that Jesus wins. That Jesus wins. So that Jesus wins. And see, he has this assured victory as he walks into Jerusalem. To accomplish these great acts, Jesus has gone ahead preparing for his eternal victory. Have you ever wondered what's the deal with the donkey? Ever wondered that? It's so it both fulfills this prophecy, but I always think about it more in, in terms of the people who were there and that this happened to. Um, and I think about it like a chess game. You ever played a chess game? And, um, and uh, some of you are raising your hand. And you're playing with somebody who's obviously experienced in chess. And knows chess really, really, really well. And you lose every, every single time. Maybe that was just me and my grandpa. I don't know. He just, he walloped me all the time. But when you're playing chess and you're playing with somebody who, who's seasoned, they've seen these moves before, so they know what's coming, don't they? 
And there's this sense that they can play it all out in their head. Here's the cool thing. When Jesus rolls in with this victory announcement of him as king, he has already set the stage. And I think there's this real, really cool idea of God's providence working before Jesus. So he comes with the fulfillment of prophecy, and he also comes executing providence. What is providence? What is God's providence? What do you guys think? Here's another discussion portion of your sermon today. Pastor Shane keeps you guessing, right? Providence is when God does something beforehand and he prepares it. So you walk into it. Uh, A providence verse would be that uh, he's the author, perfecter of our faith, that he has prepared for us good works beforehand that we might walk in them. Now, I want you to notice this conversation when he sends the two disciples out to go get the cult, right? Jesus already knows what conversations they're going to have with the people, right? Can you imagine how shady you'd feel if Jesus is like, go and take in, in a little alleyway, I want you to just go grab a horse. How many of you'd feel like, oh man, am I about to get my thiefing on right now? Am I, am I about to steal this horse? But Jesus has already prepared all this. Now I got to ask the question when the people are like, what do you need that colt for? And all the disciples do is respond and say, what? The Lord needs it. How has that conversation already been prepared? Those people are like waiting. Is there somebody waiting for these disciples to come and ask for that specific horse? I think so. I think God has already prepared all of these things for this story to unfold, for Jesus to enter Jerusalem as a king. See, the king comes prepared and does things that you and I don't know about. So uh, a really wise person once told me, he said, when I'm having a tough time to ask the question, what do I not know? What do I not know? Why is that an important question for a believer? One, because we don't know a lot, yes? But two, because God does know what we're walking into every time. He's prepared for us good works beforehand that we might walk in them. How many of you wake up in the morning and you go, yes, I can't wait to unwrap the gifts that my God the Father has wrapped for me today? I didn't see you guys skipping down the hallways to Sunday school. Right, But there's this sense that we as believers can walk into the providence of God because our king has already prepared a path. He's already prepared these supernatural things ahead of us that we might walk in them and then praise him for his incredible planning. Isn't that cool? There's a sense that we can walk into life with anticipation. Just tell him that the Lord needs it. Something had already transpired. There were already conversations. There were already movement. Every small detail of your life matters to the Lord, and he is prepared for us. There's a great deal of comfort in this idea that God has prepared small details for us in our days. We then can, with confidence, move into what that Ephesians verse promises, that we can walk in good works that Jesus has prepared for us beforehand. In all history, you need to understand that all of history, and there's been a lot of human history, yes. Yeah, there's been a lot of things that have happened. But in all history, the stage has been set for God's plan to transpire exactly as he intended. Isn't there a great assurance in that? Isn't there a deep comfort that we can rely and know that all of history has a purpose and that there's something at the end of this whole crazy thing that is worth the cost of all the pain and all the suffering and all the evil that has happened in human history? We can look forward and we can say all of that was worth it because we know and trust a God who has a plan. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? 
So he comes executing providence. The Lord has prepared for you and me things that we can walk in them. And all history is a stage that has been set by God's intention. And we see it beginning to unravel, to be exposed, to to see what God is doing when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem. And every small detail. What's the third thing? What is the third thing that our good king, when he goes to war, what does he bring with him? He brings what I call powerful presence. Amen? How many of you can remember when you've had a conversation with somebody who was like a celebrity to you? You ever been around somebody like that or somebody you heard of and that celebrity walks around? How do you act when you're around somebody who you think is a celebrity? Nervous, right? Because they have this like powerful presence. Imagine that with Jesus as he rolls in on this cult in humility, proclaiming this massive victory. And what do they start singing? Hosanna, Hosanna, right? And then they say that he brings with him the king or the kingdom of David, the kingdom of David. Why is that important? Well, Jesus has a powerful presence. Jesus has a powerful presence. And where Jesus is, there the kingdom of heaven is. Where Jesus is, there is the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom unlike any other, amen? It's a kingdom that is beyond borders, yes? It's beyond our differences, yes? There's no tribe or nation or people groups that can't be a part of this kingdom. They can all be a part of the kingdom of heaven. It's an expanding kingdom. And so where Jesus is, the kingdom is there. Why is that important for us as believers? Well, when you place your faith in Jesus, who moves into your life? Right. Well, the Holy Spirit moves in, right, giving you that power and presence of the kingdom. So when you walk into a room, what kingdom do you bring with you? The kingdom of God. Oh, who's feeling a little bit more powerful today, right? Who's thankful for that kind of might that's not your own but is the kingdom of God? So when you walk into the public school and you're painted as enemy number one because you have faith, you can go knowing what? That you bring the kingdom with you. In that place of work where your coworkers kind of make fun of you for your faith, you don't have to withdraw from that because, you know, when you walk into that place of work, who do you bring with you? Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And just as Jesus came into amazing fanfare, there's this kind of this interesting principle. When a king comes into a kingdom after a war and he's celebrating, he's viewed as a warrior king. I think many of us sometimes have a, a softer view of Jesus than we ought. Here's what I mean by that. He's, he's both gentle and lowly, yes. He understands our pain. But I'll tell you what, there is no one more mighty. In fact, multiple times in Scripture, if I could share with you a few, that God is called the mighty man, a warrior king. The Lord, this is Isaiah 42, 13, says, The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Who are Jesus' foes? Do you guys remember? Sin, Satan, and death. (laughs) I love that passage when I read about the warrior king who is going to battle on my behalf, and those foes, they better shiver. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. What is he described as? A victorious warrior. 
He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I don't know about you, but that's my God, yeah? My warrior king. My warrior king. He's gentle and lowly to me, but, man, I'll tell you, if you stand against him and his people, look out. Because he is a mighty warrior. And for us, we need to understand that Jesus is building a kingdom on earth, and who is he doing it through? Us, right. See, he's building a kingdom of believers across the globe. See, the battle lines shift around the believer that is in Christ. And so we bring with us and we expand the kingdom wherever we go. And that's why it's important for us to understand, as we talked about last week, as we talked about the blind man, is there a spiritual battle going on that we can't see? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it cool that we're somehow accidentally fighting in that battle by the power of God because he's going with us and those battle lines shift around us? You know why? Because of the power of Jesus. And so did you know if you're a believer, you're fighting in a battle that you're maybe not aware you're fighting? The battle we learn from the Bible is that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So it's important to cling to Jesus because if you want the battle lines to shift wherever you go, you need to make sure that you're walking in his kingdom and in his kingship. If you're trying to fight this battle apart from him, you have no idea what battle you're fighting or what's going on. That's where the Bible tells us that we can do nothing apart from him. It says, lo, that great commission. Why is it important that the great commission is sandwiched in the presence, the powerful presence of Christ? You ever notice that? The Great Commission starts with, all authority has been given to who? To me. That's Jesus talking, right? So all authority has been given to Jesus. And then at the end of the Great Commission, what is it sandwiched with? He tells all of us, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age, right? Because we're going into a battle that we need the powerful presence of our king. And this is why I, I think some of you, as we, as we think about, some of you ad, would ask, well, what can I really do? What ministry am I supposed to be a part of? Anybody ever have that question? Where do I fit in the ministry of the kingdom? You ever have that question? Well, there's kind of this cool idea that sometimes you don't know until you show up because there's this thing called the ministry of presence. When you come into the room, Jesus is going to give you what you need. The promise to the disciples is someday you will stand and you will have to give an account of your faith before kings and before people in authority. And what does Jesus tell the disciples? I'm going to give you the right words at the right time. I'm going to give you the right words at the right time. And so there's kind of this cool idea, again, that, that we walk with Jesus, and oftentimes we're not going to see that power go out until we're present. Ministry of presence means wherever you go, you get to be present with Christ. And I like how the passage ends. I like how the passage ends, and it just makes me think of a roaring lion. Our God is a roaring lion, yes? the Lion of Judah, the Lion of Judah, we call him. But at the end of that passage, he scopes out the battlefield, doesn't he? And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so what do I see in that passage? I see a victorious king who's bringing with him the kingdom, looking over the battlefield, 
and already knowing that he's going to have the battle, the victory for us over sin, over Satan, and over death. Are you encouraged today? So what does that mean for us? Would you begin to wake up in the morning anticipating God's hand moving both in all history but also in your life? Does this moment matter right now? Yeah, it does. Does what you do matter right now? Yes, it does. Anticipate God's hand moving all history, including your life, toward an eternal victory. Every day is one step closer to that. Small groups, I just want to leave you with this. Would you, as you discuss with one another, how does it make you feel to know the victory is won, but not yet? How does it make you feel to know that the victory is won, but not yet? And how does this change life today? How does this change life today? Um, I'm going to have our elders go ahead and um, grab the plates. I want to give you a second. Would you just maybe bow your heads, close your eyes? Would you consider what it means for our good king to go to war on our behalf, but that the victory is already won in him? I want to give you a time to respond and a time to give. And one of the things that the cool things about our giving is that we're giving to the kingdom of God, which we know is victorious. There's no better investment in this world, amen, than to an investment that you know is victorious in the end. And so I, I praise God that we can give of our resources to him. And I want to encourage you, if you're here, um, would you worship God in that way? And if you're here and you're not a member or you don't know, find a way to worship God in all of your life, including your giving. Um, it doesn't have to be to this church even, but be a part of the kingdom expansion across the world. I'm going to pray. I'm going to play for us while the elders pass out the plates and then we'll close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just pray that the, that you would take our giving Lord, that you would multiply it to expand the kingdom and that Lord, you would be glorified in all that we do in all that you've prepared for us to walk in. God, I pray that we would walk in those things and that we would rejoice and glorify you as we see your providence. We thank you that you're a God who fulfills the prophecies uh, of the Old Testament. And God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a victorious king with a powerful presence. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, church, just a couple things before you go. Um, so if you are a visitor, I just want to encourage you, if you're new to our church, would you fill out uh, either one of those things in the, in the front of the chairs, or we have a clipboard in the back that you can fill out. I'd love to come and visit you, pray for you, call you, and uh, let you know that, that God uh, loves you and that I do too. Uh, and then we also have our annual meeting. I think we'll uh, adjourn for probably five, ten minutes and then come back in here as we do the family meeting about the year and approve uh, things like the budget and rejoice at what God has been doing in our church all year. And then I want to say, would you continue in prayer for us as we take courageous steps towards Jesus, particularly in the year of 2024. So would you join us towards that? And guys, go in the name of Jesus, remembering that he's already victorious in every room you walk into. We pray that in Jesus' name, right?